But I think we're seeing the movement so big right now that it's only going to grow. In this episode, we're talking with Danny and Tracy from the Bottle Shop Hong Kong. Thanks for joining me today at Startup Roast. Um, this is Garish Society's podcast uh, to connect with our community and learn a little bit more about the members that make up our spaces. Um, Danny and Tracy, uh, with backgrounds in architecture and jewelry design, um, what was the spark that led to building, I guess, a passion into a business? Um, I guess having come back to Hong Kong for several years, we felt like we wanted to do something that um, we can say that was our own. Um, mm. There, are, I guess, that was the reason why we came back is because opportunities to begin things seems to be so much easier in a city with 7 million people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, at that point, um, craft uh, industry was kind of booming and craft beer wasn't something that was um, uh, developed yet. So at that point, we knew several kind of breweries from overseas and we just thought for fun, we might try it out. And then um, as the industry grew, uh, we, we basically had to kind of do this full time. Yeah. Uh, so after that, after we, we kind of begun wholesale and, and, and kind of have a network mm-hmm. um, in an industry that we weren't familiar with, I suppose, we decided that well, we should probably kind of connect to end consumers mm-hmm. as well because the stories that you tell um, being an importer and distributor mm-hmm. um, you, you always hope that those stories kind of carry through uh, when people go to bars and restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, but you're never quite sure. And when you when you visit some of the bars yourself, obviously being in the industry, and you inquire, hey, what's so? Uh, what's this beer about? Um, the 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 stories can differ from how they translate initially. Like, like yeah. Chinese whispers, almost exactly get passed along, and everything <laughs> changes. So we decided, well, that, why don't we just open our own kind of retail store, um, something that's system-based, that uh, is efficiently run, uh, but we can still um, use digital marketing, uh, the digital side of uh, business to actually tell, the, tell our story. So, um, so that's how the two arms of wholesale and retail kind of grew. And what was the, the thought around uh, the bottle shop? And I, I know in your site, you've got a lot about our story and sort of the journey. Mm. Uh, is that coming from the fact that, yeah, a lot of these drinks do have a story behind them and you wanted to in, instill that into how you've kind of built the company and the brand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think all this, the, the booming in the craft industries um, perhaps is from the impulse of the 90s, you know, where anti-globalization was, uh, was quite, um, um, I guess, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that, I mean, even though that's relating to... Um, finance and, and labor-related issues, um, that then translated to some of the symbols that we now associate with uh, in corporations. And even in urban design, you see similar companies setting up uh, in every single city. And, and so that affects many facets of our, of our lives. And so that craft kind of movement um, basically is what, what we all thirst to, to kind of find ways to represent ourselves and to find ways that... Um, uh, we can convey to others, I suppose, and and it goes from wearables like clothes, uh, you know, glasses to things that you eat and drink, and I guess we're we're a part of that kind of overall movement. Why do you think Hong Kong in particular has seen this movement? I mean, I, I moved here four years ago from London, and I think I was kind of in the middle or tail end of that whole kind of thing that was happening. But I've definitely seen in the last four years I've lived here a lot of growth in this area. Um, 
uh, and a kind of a rejection maybe of some of the more consumerist side of things by younger people. Um, why do you think it's the time now that this is kind of blossoming? Um, perhaps it is. The, I, the lifestyle that we've all kind of adopted recently is um, we're well-traveled, we're all kind of well-educated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you kind of know that uh, with globalization, you see the same things mm-hmm. everywhere as yeah. you travel. Yeah. And so you, you always try and find your voice uh, intellectually or in, in aesthetic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's in a city of 7 million people, I think that the, probably we, we don't talk enough about identities and, and individuality mm-hmm. you know, almost. And so perhaps we're late to the game even, you yeah. can argue. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that um, um, it's almost easier to get something started in Hong Kong because it's a smaller size city. And I think that's something quite interesting uh, I also felt that when I moved here that there's more space almost to try things and, and explore because coming from London, it feels like everyone was doing the things I wanted to do. There was not really a chance or an opportunity. Um, but conversely, I think some people also feel they're not inspired as much maybe here because there's not as much, there's not as many people or examples to inspire them. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of the, the, the ecosystem here? Um, I think it's easy to establish communities mm-hmm. um, and by definition, they're quite small but everyone's passionate about it within that community. So um, it's easy to get things started and to uh, grow to a certain size, um, uh, whether it's a lifestyle thing or whether it's a business. But then once you reach a certain size, I think you need external help. And that's when you see the other side of Hong Kong where uh, it's no longer what everyone who don't live in Hong Kong kind of perceive, which is, uh, that glamorous city, technology-driven, very efficient. It's it's more a very old-fashioned city, mm-hmm. like um, as though um, convenience is is uh, not so much the issue, but the cultural kind of heritage of what you've been doing, and therefore let's keep doing that. But when you show people, hey, there's maybe a better way of doing things. Um, especially for those in, in an authority to change things, mm-hmm. um, there's a resistance towards that. So I think it's a double-edged sword of Hong Kong where it's easy to grow to a certain size. And then after that, um, it's about trying to convince those who have the authority, who have the power. And, and in Hong Kong, perhaps, that's, um, uh, that means money or that means uh, uh, a government thing. Mm-hmm. But certainly... you. It wouldn't be far off from those two elements within the city, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends on how far you want to protect your craft. Mm-hmm. So if you were overseas and if I was just going to be developing my craft overseas as whether a designer or an artist, um, there's a strong, vibrant community and then they, you can just make a living mm-hmm. within that community yeah, yeah, yeah. with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. So in Hong Kong, being... Being in that field, it's much, much smaller community, yeah. easily as vibrant, mm-hmm. and you can still find like-minded people, but trying to survive financially mm-hmm. in that state would make it a little bit more challenging yeah. because of the, the, the difficulties of living in a very cosmopolitan city. Mm-hmm. So to try and grow beyond that and reach out and you know spread your wings or your tentacles a bit further into the society... It naturally you hit a certain threshold and you need, like as per Dan said, you need external help to get there. And whether that help comes in the form of finance or it comes in the form of some marketing expert or somebody else, 
taking you a step above away from that then you know it, it comes to who you know mm -hmm. and who you reach out to and, and you know what kind of support you can get it's it's kind of yeah i guess for what we do with um craft beverages whether it's gin or, or, or whiskeys or um, wines or, or craft beer um that's a big network mm -hmm. you know of people following that movement and so um in that sense, um, that is a success story in Hong Kong. Uh, whereas I think if you're trying to push technology um, to change the way we live, mm -hmm. which I personally am extremely interested in, mm -hmm. um, and it translates to the way we run our business as well, that's really hard. Like yeah. banking, for example, people are still writing checks and posting it. The number of times we have checks lost uh, on the way to our addresses, yeah. you know, I, I can't even count with the number of fingers I have. So, um, as opposed to just bank transfers, I mean, um, you know, I've, I've, I've never seen a checkbook for 25 years in Australia, yeah. you know, for example, and, and in Hong Kong, that's the normal way of doing things. So, yeah. I guess um, some aspects, um, you definitely need to convince those in authority mm -hmm. um, in charge of kind of big networks to to just take the leap and, yeah. and do it. Uh, in other other things, um, bigger movements can happen as proven with craft kind of beverages. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of it's yeah, changing the behaviours around how people interact with businesses, I think. Uh, I think Brian, on the last episode, was talking about there's new payment uh, practices coming into place and you see now HSBC with PayMe and others, they're all putting a lot more... Uh, a lot more weight behind all these mobile payment app options, which would hopefully start to change. Because yeah, you're, you're right. I, I was working in a shop when checks got banned, or not, like banned from being used as payment in shops when I was like eighteen or nineteen or yeah. something, which is like fifteen, sixteen years ago. So it's uh, showing age. <laughs> <laughs> um, with uh, with the bottle shop, you guys started off with a retail space, right, in Saikun. Yes. Um, what were the, some of the challenges? Obviously. Hong Kong, we all know the, the main challenge is rent and uh, getting a space itself. But you started off with the shop. What were some of the key uh, sort of challenges with building a space for someone who wants to start like a retail business? Um, and then maybe we'll, after that, we'll touch more on the, the digital side of things. Yeah, um, I guess it came pretty naturally because we were architects and we're used to designing things for people and, and just imagining the end product. Um, and then the retail experience was very important to mm -hmm. us, how people came into the space, how they read the space. So yep. I th obviously, the, there are designers who go all out and do design the whole retail consumer experience. But this is still, even though we our background is as architects, was as architects, um, the whole designing a retail experience was new and very personal to yeah. us. So when we started the shop and visually conceptualizing it, we wanted a fun space because after all it's a craft product that we're trying to sell so it's got to look very different to your very you know like mundane liquor store on the street like mm -hmm. if you walk into a wine shop you're just like blanked with a whole wall of wines and and like a tile floor and fluorescent lights and you know like the, the, the server in, a, in an apron or a black and white shirt but we wanted something a lot more fun than that so we you know like had green floors and fun bulbs and colorful pictures on the handwritten pricing and you know just, like just yeah. just very personal very mm -hmm. as much craft as we can and pour it into the space and not kind of overcrowding it as well yeah um, that was important for us like uh, I think the 
Asian taste for um, for what you see in front of you for for the visuals. It's always cram as much as many things as you can yeah. in front of you, whether it's on the website or in a store. But mm-hmm. for us, it was almost the other way around. Starting off with you know, what are the bare minimums that we can do so that we don't scare people away and, yeah. and, and make it as relaxing as Tracy says as relaxing as as we can possibly make it after all it is in Saigon it is a place where you don't just you don't want to think too much about the city life and you just want to chill and just spend time looking at things mm-hmm. if you have too many items it becomes just another kind of you know we, we call it a race course where people really kind of quickly walk into the store yeah, and get yeah, out again yeah. um yeah, there are people who, who feel like the impulse to do that and then there are those who really kind of stand in our shop for half an hour just looking at several items. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so it becomes more of a lifestyle concept rather than uh, pure, you know, like we're here to buy. Yeah, yeah. Tra- not just transactional. Yeah, yeah, so you come in and you're supposed to, you know, like you're greeted by somebody right at the cashier, like, hey, how are you? And then you see like gourmet ice pops on the side made yeah. by somebody in Hong Kong and mm-hmm. then you get some like our homegrown confectionery from Australia, especially yeah. for men, for, mm-hmm. for people. Um, and then you, you, the, the experience is built up with other products yeah. as you move into the shop. Nice. So yeah, that yeah. whole experience, the lifestyle concept is just, quite important. I guess just to tell people to just slow down yeah, yeah. Um, and just appreciate what's in front of you. Even something as simple as a letterpress kind of company in Hong Kong. Um, we, we stock their stuff and even something like that we we take, take the time to actually talk to them and mm-hmm. tell them well, what are the ideas behind it who are the founders and stuff like that and just to get people to I guess be more aware of their their lives their surroundings not that it's a super kind of altruistic um, ideal but it is something that's important for us to be able to talk as human beings in a city where um, texting is, is probably um, more prevalent than the main mode of conversation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. That's so weird. Or just know. sending voice messages to each other with no real context yeah, to the yeah, actual. That's, that's a tough conversation. <laughs> um, you know, you're reading that play button and, and you're expecting to to know what, what they've said already. Yeah, and yeah. You have yeah. to listen to it. Yeah. It's almost a, uh, one stage turned into two, two phases. I'm really that's bad with those. They always get sent yeah. to me and I'm like, oh, I don't have time to listen to this and I don't yeah, listen to it. And then two days later, I'm like, oh, and then someone sent me a really important sort of note. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. I need to... <laughs> um, so you guys now obviously have an e-commerce shop and you're, you're selling online. Um, I think for me, when I moved here four years ago, I was kind of surprised at how bad e-commerce was and how no one was really adopting it. And uh, I'd come from working in offices where pretty much every week someone was getting like a box of healthy treats or had a coffee subscription or a beer subscription. Um, and I think that's just even more now in many uh, global cities now in terms of people are getting products through the post and it's very easy to, to buy things online. Um, what's your um, experience been with offering e-commerce in Hong Kong and um, what do you think some of the challenges are? Um, obviously, I think for me, I think it's, I've seen that the convenience of the city and the fact that everyone's quite close to each other starts having this thing where people can just pop to a shop or they'll meet in an MTR to buy things off each other. It's definitely um, the proximity of services and products to everyday people. Mm-hmm. Said the MTR itself has shops, so yeah. it's like you can pick something up very easily. Um, for us, I think the it's by nature of the fact that we're in Saigon mm-hmm. and it's harder for people to get in. Yeah. So for us to then reach out to a wider traffic and a 
wider target audience mm -hmm. who eventually have to progress towards the e-commerce platform. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, then be able to offer the, the products that we hold in the shop. Um, by nature, we are constrained with the space, mm -hmm. um, but we've since been able to overcome that and now um, offer yeah. more of the other well, Yeah, I, I think the other thing is there's only so much you can actually communicate to people mm -hmm. um, face to face. Um, and although weekends, as anyone who lives in Hong Kong with, uh, in Sai Kung would agree, um, they never go into Sai Kung for those who live in Sai Kung because it's absolutely packed. And, yeah. and, um, and we do get a lot of exposure um, um, every month. But there are things that we want to tell people that we can't communicate verbally um, face to face and that we then rely on the website to kind of help us do that or social media to do that and it's not it's not just um oh you know uh, everyone's on facebook so we're posting things on facebook and or advertising products um we really want to just as i said like present a, a side of hong kong that uh, we want to uh, promote or influence um, mm -hmm. so that um it's more of a livable city, I suppose. Yeah. Um, we, what was the recent uh, motto that we had? Um, cycling solution to Hong Kong, Hong Kong living. Hong Kong living, yeah. So okay. it, it's, it's kind of like that. So on our website, instead of um, blasting it with many, many products and, and just kind of, oh, it's all about discounts and all that kind of stuff, we try our best to, say, have videos, have um, social media linked into our website so that, the first thing you see is basically what we've been doing, mm -hmm. uh, who we've been collaborating with, or um, for example, we, we um, there was there's a, a company called Globe Brand um, mm -hmm. which does uh, surfing and skateboarding, mm -hmm. um, and recently they released some skateboards that had uh, graphics and artwork from um, beer companies, like, mm -hmm. uh, top 100 beer companies. So we called them up and said, look, can we? do something together. It's nothing big, it's not money-making, it's just so that we can have a bit of fun. And little did we realize that our whole company was full of skateboarders ah. at that time. And so we all kind of... Part-time stuff skateboarders. <laughs> yeah. So we just made a very fun exercise where we had somebody, well, Dennis assistant, um, did a video of mm -hmm. part-time staff skateboarding with yeah. skateboards. And our, our five-year-old got a skateboard, so nice. put her on it and <laughs> shot the whole video and it's on our website. So, yeah, and so that's about, okay, so you're in Hong Kong. If, you, if you're carrying a skateboard around Hong Kong, most people, most local people would go, oh, what, how old are you, you know, why are you skateboarding, stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. You know what, you know, you only live once and if you don't do what you've always wanted to do, then you're not really going to get that chance again. So yeah. all that stuff is just about making people aware that there's, aside from craft beverages, there are many, many things that we are interested in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And digital side is our way of kind of um, storytelling, I suppose, and mm -hmm. also just making people aware, hey, there's actually this company that sells amazing skateboards. You, know, yeah. you can go there, get some and try, and you know, hurt yourself and have some fun in, in the process. So anyway, coming back to the point of the whole e-commerce platform, Yes, Hong Kong has not been very e-commerce focused, although I think nowadays with the younger generation being able to reach into Taobao and buying yeah. all these things from, from China, yeah. it's starting, that yeah. evolution of online shopping is definitely starting and we want to be part of that and 
yeah. in doing so again not just logging into Shopify and yeah, you know, yeah. like getting your very standard e-commerce platform and mm -hmm. having like all these products lined up as very very many of these uh, yeah. liquor stores do we have uh, a very much design focused website so yeah. Yeah. you get you've got the products obviously but then we also do live videos and then we do we're going to start developing a whole blog series mm -hmm. and then all that would be tapped into our collaborators yeah. so because we do wholesale on the side we mm -hmm. do a lot of events activations with the venue mm -hmm. establishments um, the most recent one being uh, sugar at east hotel mm -hmm. and then there was another one for continental at mm -hmm. Pacific place um, and we like we do guest bartending there or you know like sometimes we have beer events uh, beer tastings planned and um, so the whole the whole uh, experience on the website would be very much focused towards a collaborative effect and yeah. in doing so then we also help I suppose spread the word with the people that we work with yeah. so the the you know like showing a blog about or a video review of um, our event at Sugar Hotel naturally mm -hmm. then helps yeah it helps with the brand and helps with awareness and yeah and that ecosystem that you make yeah, yeah it helps our partners and you know like kind of grows the whole thing very yeah. organically it's, there's something about kind of receiving what you buy in a post as well that the mentality of shopping has changed like if you're buying something for yourself you're buying something for yourself but when you buy it digitally and you're receiving it through the post it's almost like receiving a gift that you yeah. buy yeah. from or someone else has bought you but you, you pay yeah. for it for yourself so there's there's our, our perception and our concept of buying and then receiving the expectation as you open that box as well it's all that is shifting and um yeah i think it's only for the better well, and then also coming back to it with the e-commerce website, then the, you, the, the customer service has to be absolutely mm -hmm. spot on. And yeah. this is what Danny is very, very focused on and, and has a huge priority on mm -hmm. with our staff and constantly reminding them. So if somebody orders something, it's very easy for them to have that disconnect with yeah. your brand and your shop because then they're just receiving something in the mail. There's yeah. no face-to-face -face human interaction. But more often than not, we then get an email that would say, oh, you know, like this is a gift for so and so, and mm -hmm. uh, can you please make sure that he gets it within a certain time? And Danny always sends through an email, or staff sends through an email saying, okay, you know, we'll receive your notes, um, mm -hmm. we'll make sure of this. And, and people usually do appreciate yep, this. Yep, so, with the recent typhoons, sorry, no, <laughs> but the recent typhoon, um, we had of internet orders just on typhoon day or ordering beer yeah. or the spirits um and then danny made sure like the very next day everybody who made an order because we were flooded mm -hmm. with, with the typhoon so everybody who ordered got an email from yeah. us, a personal email saying mm -hmm. sorry we're flooded but mm -hmm. we'll get your parcel as soon as we are yeah. back in action and many people responded with totally understanding empathy yeah. and mm -hmm. just saying thank you for even responding to mm -hmm. my order in that sense mm -hmm. yeah. so they were appreciative of the fact and so adding that personal touch really it really is a way i think that's why i like to as well order from different uh, small brands and across the world and they always send you quite it's night like you just mentioned it's like a gift you get a package and maybe sometimes it's a handwritten note from yeah. the founder yeah. or someone yeah. who's because they're like, wow, thanks for ordering this. Or I think that's what people are starting to really appreciate a lot more than, as you said before, 
you go if you if you travel for a year everywhere there's a deal shop in every uh, every airport you know there's a Chanel shop everywhere and so it starts to be that's just about the transaction yeah. and there's the whole brand around it that you're buying into but you're missing that personal touch um, and I think that's that's why I was surprised though in Hong Kong that there's a lot of nice small shops around but many of them didn't have any e-commerce part and you're like you there's a real easy way to reach out through uh, social media and others to, to push your brand wider that I feel like Taiwan seems to have a lot more of these uh, kind of uh, smaller craft sort of places that are really good at that and able to reach out and connect with people globally because of their Instagram presence, for example. Yeah. It, it does take a lot of effort and, and um, people dedicated to doing that. Mm -hmm. um, it's not... I mean, we always think that, oh, we just kind of post something and that's it. Yeah, but it's a lot of... I think that's what people don't realize as well, that there's often huge strategies behind someone yeah, just simply true. posting a picture twice a week for a couple of months that are supposed to be leading into all of it. Yeah. Um, they just think it's very off the cuff. But, uh, I mean, you, if you check on our Facebook and our Instagram, mm -hmm. it's very curated mm -hmm. um, strategy behind it. And, uh, Danny's the brain behind all that. Mm -hmm. I'll post for him. But um, yeah, like it's, it's very well laid out. There is um, you know, a thought behind what we're presenting. Yeah. Just, and yeah. that will further develop and evolve over the next year as our just, strategy changes more and more for digital. But um, yeah, like it takes a lot of effort. So many small businesses with maybe even a very small corner shop somewhere in PNQ, like the, the very handcrafted mm -hmm. um, businesses, they're probably too busy trying to, to run to, their yeah, daily lives. Then, then to put the energy and, to, and then yet yeah, not have the extra um, finance to put into hiring somebody to or yeah, or it may not even be a finance thing. Maybe it's a system that you design within your company so that more things are automated, mm -hmm. you're not using as many people to mm -hmm. do um, kind of mundane jobs that could be replaced with um, automation and, yeah. and, and systems. Because mm -hmm. I mean, everyone everyone complains about the labor shortage mm -hmm. um, in Hong Kong and how hard it is to hire people, and we certainly find that. Um, every month, every year, um, increasingly so. So the more things that you can do to make the boring stuff um, disappear and then allow people to do the exciting stuff, um, the better your company runs, I think, and the, the longer your staff can stay in your company. Yeah, that's very true. Um, talking about exciting stuff, you guys... Um, uh, mentioned before you're doing events I also know you do tastings and um, how did you start building out those more experiential sort of pieces of the business so um, I think obviously everyone needs to diversify a little bit these days um, is there a, any particular challenges um, around that because I think Hong Kong is itself is a very there's lots of events happening here there's lots of that kind of F&B ecosystem to engage with um, so how did you how did you start that process it was just a natural progression of collaborations with people who um, needed those expertise and knowledge to to tell that story to their to their clientele, um, especially in restaurants and bars. But um, we ourselves have done a lot of kind of private events, um, tasting events with customers and companies who just contacted us and say, hey, um, we want to throw a party. We want to be more knowledgeable or, or at least kind of know what this is about us. So we've read all these things about craft beer or gin or, or whiskey. We want to know more about it as a team bonding exercise. Can you send someone over and organize this for us? Mm -hmm. And so 
we've done big events and small events alike from you know a hundred people to twenty people mm-hmm. or ten people even. So, um, and it's uh, the funny thing is it's the same format for us every single time. You you don't you kind of imagine oh it's a different way of doing things, but. To be honest, it, it's so knowledge based and so kind of interactive that you know, whether it's a hundred people or ten people, it's the same thing. You're just going through um, the process of well, this is what you should be expecting as you mm-hmm. as you try this. What this is about, where it's come from, what they represent. So the story behind each drink, um, people people kind of almost put themselves into. That story and just imagine well, okay, I see why this is so special and, mm-hmm. and that's where that begins. And then they go off and explore their own in their own ways to other bars or restaurants or or contact other other people to try other stuff. Uh, yeah. So because of the fact that we started with craft beer, yeah. So it, it just evolved. So from craft beer and just craft beer tastings and food pairing dinners with other establishments it has now evolved a little bit into cross-category tastings mm-hmm. so the recent one we did in our very shop itself in Saigon is a whiskey and beer okay. tasting so we got in a, nice. uh, a whiskey connoisseur from one of the bars and mm-hmm. he came to Saigon and he explained the whiskey side of things and we paired that with some rare beers that we got in from Belgium nice. that was a good event and mm. like cozy it was 10 people but mm-hmm. it was good enough So how do you see the the future of the craft beverages industry in Hong Kong and like where are you hoping to take the bottle shop in the next few years? Yeah, man, tough question. It's it's hard to see in Hong Kong because um, I, I I tend to think that the craft movement will keep going. Um, there's no doubt about the fact that people are more aware of uh, uh, how they spend their lives, how they spend their money. Um, what they want to do with it um, and so definitely the craft movement will continue and hopefully um, local establishments like the, even the local kind of fishbowl noodle soup you know those kind of establishments you know if they don't even if they don't serve alcoholic drinks which may not be a culture here in Hong Kong at least they serve something a bit more craft mm-hmm. um, with their items um, I definitely see so I definitely see um, more artists, more more craft related things popping up in Hong Kong. Um, well, craft beverages um, has always been more expat driven than yeah, happened yeah. here yeah. in Hong Kong, and I think just over the recent couple of years, it's been really well picked up by mm-hmm. locals. Mm-hmm. Um, beers are another category itself in on its own, and it's grown very well because of the rise of craft breweries mm-hmm. in Hong Kong and. Naturally, then that reaches out to the local people because of what craft beer essentially is, which is mm-hmm. drink fresh, drink local. Yeah. They need that that identity and the yeah. push. Um, and then there's the craft spirits, uh, kind of boutique wines kind of category, which is a little bit different, and that's driven primarily by the high end cocktail bars using the super premium category of mm-hmm. spirits and using that to then reach out to the end consumer mm-hmm. again. Um, you know, like a, a local would probably, when I say local, I mean like a Hong Kong local, mm-hmm. locally brought up person would 
not be in the habit of walking into a craft beverage store like ours yep. and picking up a bottle of whiskey or gin. Mm-hmm. Um, as there's like less likelihood of that happening than an expat. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that category of or that demographic of people will start to grow more mm-hmm. and more over the next five years, just by world trends as mm-hmm. well, and um, growing brand awareness and marketing efforts by the craft spirits companies yeah. targeted at such a demographic mm-hmm. that will that will grow, and therefore with that, hopefully our business. Yeah, I think the digital digital side certainly um, the way we tell the story um, will hopefully be kind of running parallel to that um, mm-hmm. to that movement. Um, more collaborations, I think, definitely help with people that we we know. Um, it's a lot of fun, and it gets a lot of exposures to to more people who haven't who don't know us, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's one way for us to grow as well. But I think the overall industry will. Um, the momentum's there, you know. So at the moment, when you uh, on the way here, I saw iced tea, you know, and the lines outside mm-hmm. iced tea shops yeah. nowadays. Um, oh, but and that's a trend, yeah. you know. And and you can say that, yeah, that's craft as well. But um, for what the alcoholic craft beverages, if you count the number of establishments serving craft alcoholic craft beverages compared to the, for example, iced tea, let's just say right now. The momentum behind craft, alcoholic craft beverages like wine and all that—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's not going to stop because the momentum is so big. So, for iced tea to so it's just as an analogy, for iced tea to become a movement, that it almost has to translate from individual stores with lines in front of them to being in existence in many many establishments in Hong Kong, yeah. and that's that's the difference. And, um, well, I think we're seeing the movement so big right now that it's only going to grow. Great. I think that's a nice note to finish on. So thanks to uh, Danny and Casey for joining us today. Um, this has been Startup Roast with Garage Society. And uh, we'll see you next time.